Hello and welcome to Cocoa Pods, a podcast of the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. This is where we discuss all the issues about the health of the mother. I am Dr. Bola Sogadi. I'm a board certified obstetrician gynecologist. I'm also a family physician and I'm a minimally invasive robotic gynecologic surgeon. That basically means I do all my major procedures through very small incisions. I'm also a proponent for natural childbirths and I'm an investigator of the reasons of why a lot of black women die in the state of Georgia during and around pregnancy. Today, we're fortunate to have with us Dr. Cheryl Franklin. Dr. Franklin is the previous medical director of the Morehouse Healthcare. She's an assistant professor of the Department of OBGYN at Morehouse School of Medicine in Atlanta, Georgia. She has a master's degree in public health, and she's the co-lead of the Georgia Improved Project with Dr. Natalie Hernandez, who is the interim director of the Morehouse School of Medicine Center for Maternal Health Equity. Dr. Franklin, welcome to Cocoa Pods and thank you for joining us today as we discuss these very important issues affecting pregnant women in Georgia. Thank you for coming. And thank you so very much for having me. As we know, um, a lot of black women and women of color die during pregnancy from pregnancy-related events, especially of note. April 11 to 17 is Black Maternal Health Week, observed during National Minority Health Month in an effort to bring awareness of the gaps in maternal health experienced by Black women in the United States. We know that there are significant racial and ethnic maternal health disparities, that is, differences that exist in the United States. We know that compared to non-Hispanic white women, non-Hispanic black women are three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes and one and a half times more likely to experience severe complications among hospital deliveries. For black mothers, the risks are higher at each stage of pregnancy, of labor, of delivery, and the postpartum process regardless of income or education level. Dr. Franklin, what is the current status of maternal health, that is the health of pregnant women in the state of Georgia? Thank you, Dr. Shigari, for that wonderful introduction to the problem. And just to set the stage, let me talk just a second about uh, the U.S. in general. Compared to other high-income industrialized nations. Unfortunately, the United States leads the pack in terms of maternal mortality and morbidity and severe maternal morbidity. We don't understand all the reasons why, but it is pretty clear that the U.S. spends less money on social determinant factors than do other high-income nations. And we know in general that social determinants, things that affect the conditions in which women are born, women live, transportation, job opportunities, their uh, social status, their access to insurance, how they play, how they worship, etc., etc. We know that those determinants are a large, if really the largest proportion of determinants of outcomes for health in general, and maternal morbidity and mortality is no different. In the United States, about 700 women per year die of pregnancy-related uh, causes. And um, that rate has been increasing over the time period that we have analyzed the statistics. In Georgia, the problem is significant in 
28 through 50th in terms of maternal mortality, meaning that we had some of the worst rates in the nation. So in a nation which compared to its peers has higher statistics, Georgia as a state compared to its peers, other states have some of the highest rates. And within Georgia, black women are with the latest statistics actually 2.7 times more likely to die of a pregnancy related cause. A little bit older statistics show 3.3 times. And so we say about three times more likely to die of a pregnancy related cause. And no matter what the data years that we are analyzing, any disparity is a big problem. And the fact that there is so much pregnancy related death is a problem because even one maternal death, a woman dying from a pregnancy related cause is too much. In Georgia, the statistics get, I want to deviate here for a second, because the statistics get to be a bit uh, confusing. A pregnancy-associated death is a death that happens during pregnancy or within one year of the end of pregnancy due to a cause that is not related to pregnancy, such as accidents or homicides or suicides. I'm going to come back to that because there is a significant discussion about whether or not some of those are actually related to the fact that a woman has given birth and has behavioral health components to it, especially when it comes to suicides and homicides, substance abuse and drug overdoses, et cetera, et cetera. But a pregnancy-related death is a death during pregnancy or within one year of the end of pregnancy from a pregnancy complication or a chain of events that was, were initiated in pregnancy or the aggravation of an underlying condition by the physiologic effects of pregnancy so that these conditions are things that can be directly related back to a pregnancy. So in Georgia, we have a rate of about 66 per 100,000 pregnancy-associated deaths and about 26 pregnancy-related deaths per 100,000. So what I'd say, though, is don't get hung up in the statistics. The absolute numbers, while possibly not what you might expect, again, are as related to other states and in the United States as related to other countries are unacceptable. So what are we doing about it? One is that we are trying to standardize the statistics so that when we are talking about these things, we know uh, we're comparing apples to apples between states and between countries. So that's one effort that is underway. The other effort that is underway is to understand when women are dying and expanding our concept of pregnancy to include that entire year after delivery. So we're trying to expand our understanding in that way. We are also trying to expand insurance coverage so that it includes an entire year after delivery. We know that actually most women who are dying of a pregnancy related or a pregnancy associated cause are dying actually after delivery. Only about a third of pregnancy related or associated deaths are happening during pregnancy. And so whereas those deserve their own special microscope and attention, we really need to understand the reasons women are dying after delivery. Because, as 
you well know, Dr. Shikati, that's when women are not going to the doctor every two weeks, every four weeks, every week, and under the care of a medical professional. They're at home. They're with their families. They're in communities. And so until we understand the reasons why people are dying in that time period, then we won't be able to successfully address the problem of maternal mortality. So why are women dying of a pregnancy-related cause? The most common are cardiovascular events, cardiomyopathies, which is where the heart muscle becomes sick and does not function properly, is one of the leading causes of death in black women. Hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, preeclampsia or eclampsia are some of the most common reasons for dying for black women after pregnancy. Cardiovascular or coronary events where the coronary arteries are diseased, possibly chronically, but then you impose the acute events of pregnancy and the postpartum period, particularly in those periods, women are more susceptible to blood clots, strokes, and then hemorrhage and infection are problems also after deliveries. Again, that time period between one day and 60 days postpartum are one of the highest risk time periods for pregnancy-related deaths. And so as a medical professional, I certainly want to see us do a better job of surveilling women during that time period, because I believe that that's one of the, will, will give us one of the highest yields in terms of reducing pregnancy-related deaths. Now, I want to just say a word about pregnancy-associated deaths. Most pregnancy associated deaths that are not directly pregnancy related are actually happening further out. A good deal of them are happening within the first 60 days, but even more are happening between 60 days and one year. And that has a different set of reasons. Now, I will say that when those deaths have been analyzed, we find that there's a significant difference by payer that uh, women who are primarily covered by Medicaid have the highest risk of death from a pregnancy-associated cause further out in, in pregnancy than are women who are covered by other payers. I think that that kind of statistic really has to be analyzed, and we have to understand that. And I would think... And, and I don't know this from statistics, but I, I would think that social determinants have a good deal to do with that issue. Wow. Thank you so much. In late 2020, the Human and Health Services, that is basically the government, they issued an action plan to improve maternal health in America to help reduce risk factors before and during pregnancy and improve the quality of access to maternity and postpartum care. In addition, the Office of Minority Health, again the government, is partnering with the, the CDC, which is the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, in their efforts to address these differences, these disparities in women dying, especially around pregnancy among racial and ethnic minority women. Dr. Franklin, you are working on a very important project, addressing some of the reasons why minority women are dying in pregnancy at an alarming rate in the state of Georgia. Can you tell us more about this project called the Georgia Improved Project, which is actually an acronym? Yes, and uh, thank you for mentioning this. Georgia Improve uh, is part of the National Improve Initiative, and it is an acronym, and it stands for Implementing a Maternal 
maternal health and pregnancy outcomes vision for everyone. And it's a national effort through the National Institutes of Health, the NIH, to increase substantially research into the national problem of maternal mortality and severe maternal morbidity. So Morehouse School of Medicine is leading the project in Georgia. And our project is called Georgia Improved. And it is a program of the Georgia uh, Clinical and Translational Science Alliance, or Georgia CTSA, uh, to look at this problem. And the CTSA is a scientific alliance comprised of Morehouse School of Medicine, Emory University, Georgia Tech, and University of Georgia to look at and to propose and implement the scientific projects that can be translated to implementation projects and transform to something that people can use and are clinically useful. So. We're doing this project and our one year project is to really improve capacity for us in Georgia to perform uh, clinical and translational research related to maternal health. What we are focusing on is one, community involvement was very, very important uh, for this project. We know that when you involve communities in research projects, you're able, one, to assess and answer the needs of the community. You listen to women, you listen to their families, you listen to health systems, community providers such as yourself, Dr. Shigade, and you listen to paraprofessionals and everyone who is helping to address the problem of maternal health and you hear what they, their needs are, you hear what their barriers are, and you try to address and create systems that address those barriers, reduce those barriers, and improve their ability to control and take care of their own health. We have a community advisory board, which Dr. Um, Shigati is uh, the chair uh, woman of, and uh, that community advisory board is made up of uh, several community providers, some of our most uh, relevant healthcare organizations with regard to maternal health, uh, Department of Public Health, the Georgia OBGYN Society, some of our uh, coalitions of federally qualified health centers, and so on and so forth. And so that's one of the ways that we are implementing this project. We are wanting to uh, hear from women. Uh, so we are having focus groups of women who are interested in birth equity work. We are listening to uh, paraprofessionals such as doulas, breastfeeding specialists, social workers, anyone who is helping to address the problem. Uh, we're having focus groups. We are listening to community physicians. Uh, we're implementing provider uh, surveys and we are conducting training for uh, physicians and, um, and advanced practice providers like certified nurse midwives, nurse practitioners, uh, physician assistants to understand how to conduct clinical research, but also how to implement evidence-based practices in their community practice. And so there's going to be a series of trainings along that line. We are also implementing what we're calling knowledge networks so that providers out in uh, rural Georgia and in Atlanta and surrounding uh, systems 
there is a provider in rural southwest Georgia taking care of women out in the field, then they have a knowledge network of like-minded physicians who can come together, who can analyze cases, actual instances of near misses in maternal uh, health. Because like we said, the near misses, the severe maternal morbidity is actually so much higher than actual maternal deaths that we've got we've to learn from the instances where women got real sick and almost died and thankfully did not die, but how we can improve circumstances so that we can avert those problems. So the knowledge networks are part of this that we are addressing as well. And we are open to any other strategies uh, that people come up with that want to share with us. If you think something else will work uh, and that we ought to try because this is a problem affecting all of us and we've got to be very uh, strategic and innovative in how we address it. And then lastly, we are conducting a pilot feasibility study where within actual healthcare practices, including Dr. Shigade's, we will be doing just a small pilot study to address how we can do postpartum monitoring of blood pressure using mobile health and telemedicine technologies. The other thing that we've learned a lot during this past year with COVID is that we can't depend on women being in a site of care in order to take care of them. That some of the some of the problem and some of the monitoring has got to be done at home using technology. And so mobile health and telemedicine become part of that strategy. And so we'll uh, be conducting that pilot uh, feasibility. Dr. Shigade's practice will be one of those practices that we are doing that work in. So Dr. Franklin, thank you so much. Can you tell us about some of the key people involved in this research? So I serve as the principal investigator of the uh, project. And again, I'm Dr. Cheryl Franklin. My uh, co-principal investigator is Dr. Natalie Hernandez. Other co-investigators include uh, Dr. Fulashade O'Malley, who is our chair of family medicine at Morehouse School of Medicine and who helps to direct the project ECHO, uh, which is our knowledge uh, sharing network that we are starting for uh, maternal health care. And Dr. Natalie Hernandez, by the way, is the interim uh, director of the Center for Maternal Health Equity at Royal School of Medicine, which is newly formed to address uh, in a very holistic way maternal mortality and severe maternal morbidity in Georgia. And so Georgia Improved is just one of the research projects that the center will be sponsoring. And the center will also look at training uh, for healthcare professionals of all sorts uh, in maternal health care and uh, also serve as a repository of kind of a knowledge base uh, for this issue uh, in Georgia. And so we're very proud and very happy to have started that. The other uh, contributors to Georgia Improve include Dr. Elizabeth O'Feely, who is one of the principal investigators for the Georgia CTSA, which again is the sponsoring organization for this research. Dr. Priscilla Camel, who runs the Community Physicians Network. One of the ways that we are engaging 
on healthcare providers is through our community physicians network, which is now, I believe, a 20 plus year project of the Memorial School of Medicine to bring community physicians into an alliance, really for the precise purpose of uh, improving capacity to do clinical research in a community-based setting. So clinical providers are trained uh, to do clinical and translational research so that all research is no longer uh, thought of as being in an academic institution. And we think that's important as a community uh, involved um, school of medicine that we don't hold all the keys. In fact, we probably hold very few of the keys without our community partners. And so the Community Physicians Network is a real important part of what we're doing. So Dr. Pamu is the principal investigator for the uh, CPN, as we call it. And Dr. Shigade, by the way, is uh, this year's co-chair of the uh, CPN. And so we are happy to have that alliance as well. Dr. Franklin, you are a practicing physician. You have a master's in public health. You are assistant professor, Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at a historically black college and university, Morehouse School of Medicine, the iconic university in Atlanta. And you are a very busy physician, a researcher, but I know you help students and residents in learning And I want you to speak to how you do this from your busy schedule and how could you inspire them? You know, when you look at your story, your pains and your passions of your career journey over the years, and as a woman of color yourself, how how do you do all this together? And what words of inspiration or encouragement could you give to a young medical student aspiring to be some of the things that you are now? First of all, I'm old enough that I have had several different moments in my career. I've been practicing here in Atlanta for going on 32 years. I went to public health school while I was in medical school. So I did uh, both degrees during that period of time. I took off after my third year of medical school and did my public health degree uh, at uh, Columbia University and condensed a two-year program into uh, just about 13 months. I focused on maternal and child health in public health school. And I will say that at the end of my third year of medical school, I actually wasn't sure what I wanted to go into. But my year in public health, doing maternal and child health, really cemented for me the desire to be in women's health. And it was the public health issues around maternal health that really gave me the desire to look at that area of medicine. And I actually find OBGYN to be sort of one of the perfect specialties. If you like medicine, if you like surgery, if you like the disciplines of the social science types of disciplines, you do a lot of psychology (laughs) and some psychiatry in women's health, do a lot of infectious disease, you do endocrinology, you are doing some little bit of rheumatology. Uh, you're doing lots of primary care. So you're running the gamut of uh, some of the medicine uh, disciplines, and then you're able to do surgery. And uh, most of us are not as accomplished as Dr. Shigati and high-impact robotic surgery. But because we're able to operate on organs of the reproductive system, we take care of the the surgery in the pelvis for women. And so it's a very exciting uh, specialty from that standpoint. 
But like I said, I uh, have been for a long time interested in the public health issues around maternal and child health, but particularly uh, maternal health and women's health. I have a pretty strong interest in, uh, interest in obesity management, the impacts of obesity in women's health, and now somehow <laughs> gotten involved in uh, quite a bit of maternal morbidity and mortality inquiry through some of the research uh, projects that we're doing. Policy issues uh, regarding maternal and child health interest me. And we're fortunate at the Warhol School of Medicine to have the Satcher Health Leadership Institute, which is basically our policy arm. But as you and others probably have realized, policy is the driver for many solutions. So policy is what made the Affordable Care Act. Policy is what will drive the expansion of Medicaid or not in Georgia. Policy is what will drive the look at the adoption of legislation, which will take more seriously the looking at maternal health morbidity and mortality in the United States. And so policy is very important. It's how we drive change. And so uh, policy will drive changing the underlying social problems that we know impact health. And so we can't do this work of improving maternal morbidity and mortality without doing the work of changing policy. So I'll leave it at that. Wow, that is important. Um, you know, just talking to one of our young uh, interns going to medical school, countries like Finland and, and Sweden have very low maternal mortality rates. And some of the things that contribute to the high rates in America and in Georgia, they, they are rooted in implicit and or explicit bias and structural racism in social determinants of health, chronic stress and quality of care. How can we, and I know you talked about policy, and with policy and with the community, with the woman herself, how can we even start addressing some of these issues from, you know, just even a woman? If a woman with a high school education, for instance, comes into labor and delivery and says, you know, I'm having chest pain, she needs to be listened to and not ignored because she's black or she's poor, because that chest pain could be, she could be having a cardiac, she could be having a heart attack after pregnancy because she had very high blood pressures. How can we even start looking at this problem from this point of view? So you started off by uh, naming some countries who are doing better uh, than we are in terms of addressing morbidity and mortality or who have lower rates. And one of the things that's been pointed out is that uh, the United States is uh, one of the countries with large racial and ethnic biases and heterogeneous populations. And so one issue that the American Public Health Association has championed is really looking at how racism is acting in every policy. So in whatever room one is in, whether that be in government, whether that be in corporations, whether that be in education, etc., when policies are made, every policy should be examined to see whether or not racism structural racism is a part of that policy. For instance, if the city councilman persons in the room had paid attention to the uh, structural biases uh, in Flint, Michigan, 
that said, we are not going to spend the money to change over the pipes, to get rid of these lead-based pipes, then maybe we would not have had the lead crisis in Flint, Michigan. And so no matter what it is people are doing, whatever rooms they sit in where they can influence change, every decision has to be looked at with the proper lens. And so the first step is acknowledging that we have this problem. And the next step is to break it down so that we are looking for it everywhere and we are trying to understand how to get rid of it. So in medicine, we know that a lot of explicit bias in medicine was uh, changed with the 1965 passage of the Medicare Act, right? right? With Medicare, it made it illegal to overtly discriminate against black persons, brown persons, because you couldn't get uh, your hospital and providers couldn't get money from Medicare if they were found to be discriminating. So that helped a whole lot because prior to that, there was quite a bit of overt racism and discrimination in medicine. But we know through lots of study now that there is significant implicit bias and significant underlying subtle or more subtle discriminatory practices. And um, this is not an accusation of people. Uh, it's an acknowledgement that we all have biases, every one of us. We have them, we may have them to different degrees, but we all have biases that are cooked into our ways of thinking, cooked into our institutions. And so until we recognize and understand those and actively try to change them, it will continue uh, to be the case. So there's lots of training programs that are going on now. I just took one through the March of Dimes that was excellent. There are uh, coming online more and more implicit bias trainings so people can start to understand that. We are going to make implicit bias training available to our uh, providers who are involved with Georgia Improve as part of our knowledge networking. And so everybody just has to recognize it and keep understanding it. And then the other thing is just trust women to understand that they know their bodies. Uh, and sometimes they can't articulate what's going on, but when they are raising a concern to take it uh, seriously. We also though have to train women to take their concerns seriously themselves. And so in, um, in maternal health care, there is a paradigm that I like to, it helps me to understand the genesis of the problem. And it's called the three delays model. And the three delays model was actually devised for a rural, low resourced community type of a problem in global healthcare. But I think it can be applied in Georgia and in our local settings. So the three delays model is, uh, the first delay is the woman recognizing herself that she has a problem, understanding the symptoms of the problem, understanding that this is not just part for the course, but I'm having an issue that I need to do something about and not ignoring symptoms. So education is a big part of that. How we market, and or not market, but how we advertise problems. We did a good job of that with COVID. If you will remember, uh, COVID came out and all over the TV and New York did a great job with it. They were advertising what the symptoms were of COVID and the things that you needed to seek help for. 
So I think we need to do a better job with that, with maternal health and morbidity. So that's the first delay. The second delay is getting to, a, a delay of getting to a place, a site of service where one can be helped. And as you might imagine, that's a whole lot of issues that contribute to that delay. That's transportation. You have to have a way to get there. That's family understanding and support. So you might have to convince another person that you are having a problem and need help to get to a site of service. So it's a decision to act. And it's not just your own decision, but might be your family or your community helping you to make that transition. So it's more education. It's access. If you know you need to go somewhere, but you don't have anywhere to go because you don't have insurance that anyone's going to take and you don't have a care provider near you or you don't, you know, they close the local hospital and now you've got to get somewhere 60 miles away all of that plays into that second delay so you know you have a problem but you can't access the services that you need so that's that and then there's the third critical delay once you are in a site of service an appropriate site of service now is getting the appropriate care that you need And so now we get into provider education, hospital education, systems of care. Are they set up for emergencies properly? Do we have an appropriate uh, distribution of healthcare services such that an ambulance knows that if a woman is having this problem, I need to take her to a higher tier level of service than the local community hospital. So it's that kind of thing, and it has to do with health systems, um, provider education, and so on and so forth. So that's a lot, but it's all part of it. And that's what makes this issue so complex. Wow, thank you, Dr. Franklin. That's such a comprehensive response. I mean, basically, women out there, and their caregivers need education on awareness of beliefs, on bias, on stereotypes. They need to know why and how to get to know a patient's cultural identity. And we talked about strategies for providing respectful, compassionate, and high-quality maternal health care to the women while they're there. And I want you to talk about this some more. If there are women out there that want to participate in this research, or maybe caregivers of women that want to participate, because this is such an iconic research by an iconic university, Morehouse School of Medicine in Georgia, for a problem that is prevalent in Georgia. For women or caregivers out there, how can they learn more about this research project and even participate? So we are starting a a website for Georgia Improved. It's not up and running yet, but will be soon. And we will have a uh, direct email address so that people can email us. At this point, we are recruiting women who are interested in health equity work through our community advisory board. Uh, which Dr. Shigati, again, is the chairwoman of. So through our uh, connected uh, providers, we have our perinatal care research and intervention network, our PICRIN, we call it, uh, which is comprised of community physicians and mid-level professionals, etc. They, too, are referring women to our uh, community, Our community advisory board is co-chaired by two postpartum women who work with Dr. Shigade. They will be promoting uh, this project as well. We will reach out through a lot of related projects that we have at Moore School of Medicine to try to 
have uh, women who are interested in being part of this solution to help us uh, to understand the, the issues and help to drive uh, the solutions that we collectively will devise. Yeah, thank you. Dr. Franklin, I'm going to have one more question for you. But before we finish, this is the uh, Coco Pods podcast. It's a podcast of the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. We talk about all the issues relating to women's health care. And today we are fortunate again to have Dr. Cheryl Franklin. She has practiced in the Atlanta area for more than 32 years. She's an assistant professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the iconic Morehouse School of Medicine. And she is one of the principal investigators of a big project in Georgia trying to find out and to solve some of the problems relating to black minority women, women of color dying at a higher rate in pregnancy and around pregnancy in the state of Georgia. Dr. Franklin, in wrapping up, can you tell us about the MoMA Act, like, like M-O-M-M-A for, you know, mommy, MoMA, but the MoMA Act, can you tell us something about that? Sure. Uh, the MoMA Act, um, uh, another acronym, stands for Mothers and Offspring Mortality and Morbidity Awareness Act was introduced in uh, the 116th Congress by Representative Kelly Robin, a Democrat from Illinois, in uh, 2019 as a House uh, resolution and reintroduced, I believe, in 2020. is making its way. It's in committee uh, in the Congress. I don't believe it's gone to uh, the Senate as of yet, but is to look at improving a federal efforts with respect to prevention of maternal mortality in the United States. And so it's an important, and I'm, I'm uh, pretty sure it's the first time that a comprehensive act on the federal level uh, was introduced into Congress to comprehensively address uh, this issue. And you alluded to the fact that at the end of 2020, we had two things happen that came out of the last administration. The Secretary of Health and Human Services, Alex Azar, uh, put out an action plan, uh, action plan called Healthy Mothers, Healthy Pregnancies, Healthy Futures, an action plan to improve maternal health in America. An important step uh, because it sort of gave a, a, a roadmap of evidence-based measures to decrease maternal mortality. So that's part of the national effort to comprehensively look at that. Almost simultaneously, uh, right about the uh, same time, the Surgeon General, uh, Jerome Adams, did a call to action also to decrease maternal morbidity and mortality. And it is a uh, set of actions for women, states, tribes, and local governments, healthcare professionals, health systems, hospitals and birthing facilities, payers, employers, innovators and researchers to look very carefully at how we can collectively improve maternal health and decrease morbidity and mortality. I really like that effort uh, because it recognizes that it's not just healthcare providers, it's not just women themselves, it's not just hospitals. It's not just payers. It's everybody. It's the whole community that have to come together to look at ways within their realm of influence for how they can help to address this problem. 
And so uh, I've not, not seen that before, where it's been acknowledged that this is a societal problem that's not born by just one aspect or realm of society, but has to be addressed in a comprehensive, cohesive fashion. So anyway, it's a, it's a big job, lots before us, and uh, there's room for help from everyone. Wow. Dr. Franklin, I am so honored, so appreciative of you coming to our podcast. You inspire me on so many levels, so many things. And I am grateful to you, Dr. Cheryl Franklin. You know, um, shoulders of giants I stand on, Dr. Cheryl Franklin, Dr. Elizabeth Ophelia, Dr. Pimo. I am so grateful for all of you. And again, Dr. Franklin, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. We definitely will be having you again. And I thank you for all the help that you are doing just to help bring awareness to this big problem and hopefully for actionable items to, to develop and for ultimately less women dying in and around pregnancy in the state of Georgia and in the United States. Thank you very much. Well, you are so very welcome, Dr. Shigati. And I am in awe of you. <laughs> and I know very well from being on the front line in healthcare myself more in the past, I know the level of dedication and uh, the level, the, the, the degree of work that you have to do to accomplish what you have accomplished. We thank you for providing care and services in an underserved, in underserved areas in Georgia. You have been part of the solution. And if we had more like you, perhaps we wouldn't have so much of the problem that we've had. So you are an inspiration to others and we look forward to being able to reproduce you <laughs> and to be able to clone you and your types of services in Georgia. And anything we can do at Morehouse School of Medicine to help to resource you, to provide help for you, that's what we'd like to do uh, because only together will we be able to solve this problem. Thank you very much, Dr. Franklin, and have a very good day. 